Welcome, everybody, to the sixth episode of the Functional Firefighter Framework podcast. Um, in episode five, we covered uh, the 10 steps in changing policy uh, within your organization. And today we are going to cover uh, NFPA 1582, which is Comprehensive Occupational Medical Programs for Fire Departments. Um, one thing to note uh, within NFPA, and it's specifically 1582, um, a lot of it is assessments that you should be doing for your organization, but don't necessarily come with uh, numerics or standards within uh, the program, if that makes sense. Um, and we have a special guest today, uh, Battalion Chief Corey Whitlock. The man, Corey, how are you? Good, man. How about you guys? Good, good. Um, this is... Uh, as you know, uh, being a major part in, in the IFF and being part of the Wellness Committee, uh, 1582 is extremely important. But before we dive into that, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and and what you're up to these days? Well, uh, like you said, now battalion chief up in the Reno area. I worked uh, 12 years with <laughs> and with these guys here and uh, taught a few academies with you guys and over the years. And... Um, pride of downtown, worked downtown all 12 years, was on the truck uh, most of the time, uh, loved that experience. And then uh, about 2013, 2014, went to a PA school up in Washington uh, State uh, at University of Washington. And then I've been practicing kind of twilighting as a PA ever since, uh, but obviously keeping my main, uh, my main job in the fire service and really catering to more uh, fire police military and their issues because it really resonated with uh, what we go through day to day. And it kind of was, they're my people. So it was easy, <laughs> easy to focus on them because they're easy to talk to. They're straight shooters and uh, I get a lot out of it. So, yeah. Did you do any specialized uh, training during PA school uh, to focus on kind of the needs for first responders? A little bit. So during my, uh, my, like you had to do these clinical hours. So you had like family practice, you have surgery and you have all these different areas. And I focused in on, uh, we had some elected time. So I did mine in, uh, age management and, uh, which is a lot about like optimal optimizing your health up, uh, in Reno for two months, uh, which was kind of like my subspecialty. And that's kind of where I really dug in and realized I really like that preventative part of it, because to be honest, in our medical system in general, and in our schools, we don't teach anything about that. Uh, for example, in a two and a half year program, I had uh, one half of a day that covered nutrition in PA school. Mm. And that just kind of tells you the totality of the medical system, which was really unfortunate for, for me, because I really like that stuff, or actually more unfortunate for the other providers in the room, because they weren't able to learn that. And unless they're, it's a passion, it's not taught. Wow. Um, so tie, tying that back in the two things. So NFPA 1582 in uh, Chapter 7 of, um, of 1582, it dives into... Um, hormone imbalance awareness consultation is a part of it. Um, is there with your previous practice of, um, like you said, preventative medicine, uh, slowing down the aging process, is there anything consistent you see within the fire service that we should be checking in our hormone imbalance screenings specifically? 
Yeah, I think that's what that's what really drove me into this uh, this realm of it is because like being a firefighter for nearly 20, 20 years now, um, I had some imbalances on my own. So when I got checked out when I was like 33, my hormones were like all over the place and primarily because of sleep deprivation or that circadian rhythm disruption that, that you see in the fire service, military or police personnel. So you see this uh, starting, stopping and non-consistent approach to your natural circadian uh, rhythm built in your body. And that can have uh, detrimental effects on the framework of your hormones, how they're built, how they're released, timing of release. So a lot of times it's just trying to get that a baseline to understand what's going on and, and moving forward from there because a lot of us have these hormone imbalances, especially if we're working in the fire service or police military. So that's a super, super, super common thing that I see. And pro primarily the number one thing I see when guys come in to see me. Well, like it's, uh, I would say, we, I think we've talked about this. It, it hit me probably my 10th year in the fire service. I think I was 33, 34 as well. Like what's the fastest you've seen somebody deteriorate because how many, well, I guess first, how many, how many firefighters do you technically see as a PA? I'd say, have I, like on average, like that I retain probably over 60, but over the years, probably I've seen 200 plus, you know, it's a small subset, but in our area, you get a pretty good feeling about what's going on and you get the finger pulse of the, of the guys. And so you see them anywhere from uh, starting to like uh, your 25 year veteran. Well, so what, what's the fastest you've seen somebody deteriorate, like come in healthy and then thyroids chewed up, body weights put on, uh, mood affect changed. You know what I mean? Like the whole, the whole gambit of hormone Cause, disruption. Cause essentially being at station one, which you had mentioned, you, you see people, you saw people at the, the best shape they had ever been in because they don't, like you said, they don't have a passion for it prior to, there's no history of. So they get slammed into this academy for six months and then they go through six months of probation where they're, you know, first one to the dishes, not really, the nutrition isn't really going, they're stressed out. So they're losing weight, but then they get off of probation and then that, that time where it's like, you know, like how fast in that realm. I'd say within six months, you start seeing people, you can start seeing pretty, uh, pretty clear deterioration. And there's, it, it's a multifaceted thing, right? So when you're on probation, whether you like it or not, you're working out, you're getting, you're getting worked. <laughs> but once that motivation is left to the individual and they, they leave like the nest, then a lot of those things start settling in and the, the reality of what's happening of like, Hey man, I don't feel like working out today. Then they just start, they stop working out because there's no one pushing them. There's no one forcing them to. So they're probably having a lot of these issues prior, but they've just gotten through them. And then once they're off probation, about six months, you start seeing that deterioration physically and mentally. Cause you start seeing guys downtown, you know, I would always say, if it doesn't bother you, like stick, stick with it because you offer a lot because that that place a revolving door because guys start losing it mentally pretty quick because they're uh, the stamina the mental stamina is is not there because uh, I think for one reason or another hormone imbalances uh, what they see the constant berating of uh, you know patients that you get down there is uh, it, it can be pretty challenging so I think on top of everything probably around six months I've seen somebody just completely fall off the wagon there. 
And when you mean fall off the wagon, are you like talking like blood work markers? Uh, like I said, body weight increase or body fat increase, mood, like emotion change, like all the, the whole gambit. The whole six gambit. Months. About six months. Okay. <clears throat> and I've seen it. But, you know, I've also seen guys who have uh, held on strong for 10 years and uh, then then the wheels fall off a little bit. But, you know, I think there's that's that's a once again, that's a multifaceted issue to where depending on how their home life is, how much overtime they're working, the other stressors, if they have a good foundation of uh, fitness, if they were kind of forced into fitness because they're now in the fire service and that wasn't part of their infrastructure. So there's a lot of these uh, these things, but I'd say even with some guys I've seen six months to where really you could see profound changes in their blood work, uh, in their mental acuity, um, in their relationships, in their, uh, you know, their stress, their stress has come to the surface a lot faster. So now I'm assuming, uh, you're probably a little slower where you're at than you were when you were downtown. Do you have the same pitfalls with your folks up there? Yeah, yeah, I think we all see it in the fire service, whether you're at the busiest station or slowest station. Uh, it's slow stations, you have a whole different monster. You got that, hey, we got all day, we have we have time to do it. And then that motivation starts creep steadily creeping down. And these guys will, uh, you know, put it on the back burner, put it on the back burner. Next thing you know, not work out one, two days. Next thing it's a month. You start seeing the same pitfalls because they don't have that uh, that built into their their day-to-day infrastructure. So it kind of becomes like not a priority. So even if you're at a busy station, I've always, that's why I always, you guys know, I always work out in the morning because for me, that's the number one time I can at least identify when I can work out and I'll probably get the least interruptions. But that was the number one priority of the day is to get that workout in and get it off my plate. Because as the day goes on, my, my, uh, my likelihood of working out is completely gone. Yeah, but you worked out at like five in the morning. So your clients probably just went to sleep at about an hour ago. (laughs) So you have a little window where you probably just stayed awake, worked out. Yeah, that's what happened. Snorted coffee, went through the day, right? Like just stay wired. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, just stay piecing it together. Yeah. And and just demoralizing those that catch that that four a.m. call and you're like, who is down here rowing at four? And you're like smiling and waving. Well, <laughs> See you there, later, fellas. There's, there's some psychology behind that, right? As a captain, you have to uh, you had to be the leader of the team, and regardless how tired I am and and how beat up I am, I got to show the guys what what my number one priority is. So that if you're grinding in the morning and say it's it's mind mind over matter, and I truly believe that. And if if I'm going to set the stage, I got to model that behavior. So the modeling behavior, I just have a little more hatred for myself than I do for other people. So I just put myself in the grinder <laughs> so that you can see. Nobody hates me like me, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no one wakes up or no one goes to sleep with one hour of sleep and then goes. <clears throat> All I want to do is do a, a 25 meter or 25 <clears throat> meter row. Yeah. No. Like, no one, no one likes it. <laughs> um, before we get into the next question, so what I want to put together for the listeners, um, Corey had mentioned a baseline in your blood work. Um, one important thing to notice or note is that there isn't a magic pill and trending and staying on top of your health, whether it's, uh, well, let's ask that real quick. Uh, Corey, how often do you recommend getting your blood work done? <clears throat> 
in the fire service and uh, police military, I think six, every six months or a year, a year is minimum. And uh, in the fire service, we're lucky because we have these mandatory physicals that we get. So we, we can get a bare minimum, but I, I definitely think one year of full complete panel would, would really be a great starting point if you're a 19 year old firefighter or a 50 year old firefighter. It's, uh, it's paramount that you get those, that blood work looked at a com comprehensive panel once a year. Okay. And so and I, we were going to ask you about as far as uh, supplements that are pretty consistent across the board that we should be taking in the fire service. Um, but I just wanted to make sure people understood that we're, we don't approach it backwards. Don't say, Hey, my, my physical's coming up. I got to start jamming this fish, these fish oils down or whatever supplement to be able to combat this metabolic marker so that I can get to next year's physical. It should be, like you said, the, the daily habits, the discipline to stay consistent and get that 45 minutes into an, or an hour in uh, three or four times a week and eating correctly will go much further than just trying to slam some omega threes in um, 30 days prior to your blood work and, and just, crushing the elliptical. Yeah. Killing the elliptical. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. What are, what are some of the, uh, vitamins or supplements that you recommend taking, uh, to combat the negative impact from our career? So the, I'm right there with you. I, I kind of say like, Hey, you know, you, uh, a lot of guys eat their way into this, their mess that they're in or the, the, the way they're feeling and they can eat their way out. Right. So I say, hey, this is not something that you change overnight, but we have to change the behaviors first. So honestly, for most people, I don't even suggest uh, supplements because if they can't aren't disciplined enough to eat one meal right a day or work out, then then honestly, that supplement's not going to do anything. It's not even going to be they're not going to take it. So you can't make something so robust that they're you know, that they're they don't have the, that infrastructure to do themselves or they don't have that discipline. So you say, Hey, let's start with this. Let's start with doing something three to four times a week. And then after we have a month or two months with that, then we'll start adding these other things like, yeah, let's take some supplements. So if we're at that point where we're like, Hey, let's take some supplements. The number one I start off with for everybody is vitamin D because there's about a 35%, like 35% of adults in America are vitamin D um, not insufficient, but deficient. And then a 75% of Americans are set are vitamin D insufficient, which just means that they're not, they're not, um, they don't have critically low, but they're like in the, the lower range. So I always tell guys vitamin D is my number one pick. It's not going to make you feel like uh, amazing, but it's a necessary vitamin that helps uh, bone stimulation that helps uh, your immune function. That also helps with uh, inflammation reduction. It also helps with uh, reducing type, uh, risk of type two diabetes. So you have all these multifaceted things with just one vitamin D pill of like 5,000 IUs a day that can do a tremendous amount for your body without you really having to work too hard to get it. Vitamin D is pretty cheap too, right? Like it's a pretty cheap, easy supplement. Yeah. Uh, there's so, what's the is there a toxicity level? I mean, like, can you? really no, OD like, on vitamin D. 
Sure, if you took a, a boatload of it, you probably wouldn't be doing well. But uh, yeah. I say like generally daily. So the biggest caveat to this is that uh, there's a few different forms of it you're going to take or a few different forms you can take. The number one form that you, you need to take is a liquid form of some sort, whether it's in gel capsule or if it's in like a dropper. But it's 5,000 IUs a day, five to 10,000 IUs a day. But if you think about 5,000, you're going to be fine. Okay. And like I said, you're not going to, uh, you know, wake up having uh, lightning bolts uh, coming from your fingertips, you know, after taking vitamin D, but it's an essential vitamin that it's a hormone in our body that our body uses for all these functions. And being it, everybody I've tested, every single person I've tested coming through the door has been de vitamin D insufficient. It's, uh, I don't know if you know who Stan Efferdine is, but he's like a pro bodybuilder, strongman, power lifter. I think he's easier in Vegas actually. And uh, I was watching a, like a vlog that he did and he does blood work probably every three months. And one of the things he found was that he was vitamin D deficient. And it shocked him because he like literally he goes on a 10 minute walk after every meal, he eats probably seven meals a day. So he's outside for 70 minutes getting sunshine, living in Las Vegas, even in the summertime and was still vitamin D uh, deficient. So he, he, he was the first person probably as probably a decade ago that I saw, uh, take a vitamin D supplement. He, he did those, uh, I think there were like 50,000 IU ones that you take twice a week or something. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I thought it was interesting because he had specifically made it his point to be outside drinking whole milk, being out in the sun, still didn't have, uh, yeah. right amount of it vitamin D in the blood work. I tell guys that it's kind of a, it's, it's fascinating, but they, they, they say that to get enough vitamin D to be out of that insufficient range, you need to be in direct sunlight with like your shirt off in the surface area of all your back and all your front for over 20 minutes a day would take you just right out of that vitamin insufficiency range, or you could absorb enough vitamin D for that day. So that means every single day, you'd have to have that surface area of your body, your front and back direct sunlight for 20 minutes a day and that could give you so you you think about that you're like there's not a chance we're getting that yeah especially not where me. you're at yeah no not a chance <laughs> uh, but, hold but on. then it, it goes to show you that you're like okay i get it because before like if we're cavemen we're we're out all day hunting oh, yeah. gathering stuff where right now that that ain't happening so uh, that that alone uh, it can also help with the art, your sleep architecture too. And I didn't want to pass over that, but uh, a quick little uh, idea is like when people are out in, um, in the sun, you get really tired. You know, you come back from the beach with your kids and your kids all knock out. So the vitamin D and the melanin in your skin uh, combine to make melatonin. And that is obviously induces your sleep. So uh, it also can help with that sleep architecture for the hormones uh, necessary to put you to sleep. So that's why vitamin D is like, my multi-purpose medication that I say, if you can, if you have the discipline to do all this other stuff, then let's add vitamin D and it can help supplement that. Yeah. All right. So you had previously mentioned, uh, being the supervisor that, that led by example and working out at 4am and eating correctly. Um, so I just wanted to touch on something that we had talked about, um, last episode a little bit that 1582 would finally, mentioned removing individuals from the floor if they weren't able to generate eight mets um just it's a low standard um it's not very hard at all to generate eight mets um but in that realm at all just speaking in general 
um, someone that's heavily involved in union leadership, uh, rooted in accountability yourself. How do you hold those accountable um, that tend to f- fall off the wagon after six months and are unable to physically perform? Um, being that supervisor that does lead by example and you know wear the union hat, how, how do you juggle those two things? Yeah, we've talked about this before. It's, it's a it's a tough topic because, you know, we're here to, as a, on the union side, to protect our, our workers' rights and to uh, protect about unsafe or unfair practices and really represent our members in that position, right? So uh, as, we've, as we've touched on, it gets to the point to where, you know, some, I believe when we talk about this, a lot of people point to that one guy they know, that one guy that everyone knows is, is not, doesn't look look like the fireman doesn't act like him doesn't can't uh, can't physically uh, meet the standards but has uh, but we have to consider the guy who who might also look like that but can meet those standards but are just a little different so we don't put the we don't just put the negatives in this box and just walk away because I said well what what if they're trying to mistreat this good member who who maybe doesn't look like the pillar of health but can still do the job and so you have to protect that seat a lot more so it gets to be a a little tricky when when approaching it but uh personally i go back to that company officer that company officer is the most important role in the fire service i believe because you have the most influence over over your crew and and you can really change the dynamic of your day uh and the dynamic of uh, each of your members work environment so I'd say that a lot of it starts there. And so if I have members that are struggling uh, physically and they're not physically fit and whatever, then guess what? I'm starting to do more crew trainings. I'm going to start getting us out wearing our gear more. And I'm going to do these normal things that I can do as a company officer to push that individual to meet those standards. Because if it's simply that them not taking care of themselves, I'll let them know that there, there's a standard that is going to be met at work and that we're going to be coaching them through that so it's not just like oh that guy's not good enough he's out of shape we got to take him off the floor it starts at home at that at that company officer level to incorporate trainings to bring them up to par then if they're not up to par i think kind of what you're talking about is taking them offline we have to make sure that there's infrastructure and there's a plan offline because there's a uh, i think we've all spoke about it and there's been places where they take this person offline and they go, okay, now what? And that's not good for our membership either. And that's not good for that member because now you've taken them away from their family. The family is in firehouse family, their motivation that could be helping it. And, you know, that camaraderie and then just putting them out of no man's land, just telling them they're not good, they're not enough. And then what are we supposed to, you know, what are we supposed to do with them there? I don't think that solves the problem either. So to me, it's a big infrastructure thing. That's uh that's 100% it because then you're, you're just lost. And then who's, who's responsible for what, if there's no infrastructure in place, right. And you take somebody offline, who's paying the bill, right. Essentially to get them back online. Right. Because there's, is the, is the city paying, is the member paying, right? Because somebody has got to pay some money to, to rehabilitate somebody. You don't get rehabilitation for free unless you own the infrastructure. Right. So if no infrastructure is in place, who's, who's footing the bill and who's responsible, right? Like that's the, that's the big kick in the teeth. Yeah. And I don't, and again, it's not a punitive idea or concept. I think we have to break that stigma of it's, 
you're in trouble now. Like, no, that is not, you would mention downtown and, you know, how people, you have to have the stamina to deal with that and be able to combat those things. And it, I think it's easy to slip down that, that I'm not going to work out today. And then the next week, and then the, it's so-and-so's first time, first fire, and you got the bunk cake and then the, the, the donuts are coming. And, and I mean, you two know, I, I love, I love those things, <laughs> but it, it, it's the idea of being able to recognize in your baseline metabolic markers in those things that were body composition, um, the things that we had mentioned during your annual physical to say, hey, you're not in trouble. This isn't a punitive measure, but we've built these resources and this infrastructure to be able to remove you for X amount of time frame. There isn't a break in service. This isn't report Monday morning at 7 a.m. and we'll see what happens. No, there's a there's a process in place. And I, I think once we're able to recognize that it's not a punitive measure, everyone, whether it's admin, labor management, what whatever you want, people can come to a table and sit down and go, oh, okay, I, I, I get it. I don't want this to be, this is something to help us not be punitive. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that uh, just to take away the stigma too, that some people think that it's about just body composition or maybe you're overweight and uh, oh, that guy's overweight. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is the, the output. I'm big on output. Can you do the job or can you not? Can you meet the eight METs or can you not? If you cannot meet the minimum standards, that that's where we have a problem. I don't care if you're five foot two and weigh 200 pounds. If you have that output and that just because your body composition is different than clinkers doesn't mean you can't do that job. But if the output is, is tarnished, then that's where we have to address it. Yeah. And that's why, so Phoenix ties it to um, other metabolic markers. So you can, it's, it's your body, overall body composition plus your blood pressure or your cholesterol or because if you can you can be 40 percent body fat but you can't be 40 percent body fat and be walking around with your blood pressure 220 over 160 and us send you and not able to generate eight mets yeah it's sending a it's sending a a a time bomb back to the floor because i mean even if i mean in my personal opinion eight mets is low so if you're if you are able to generate eight mets, but still your blood pressure is out of whack or your, your diabetic markers are coming back way too high at 40%. We can't, because that's going to turn into the problem. And I think that if we're able to recognize that and build the policy in a way that catches these things early enough, then we're able to intervene in a manageable time frame. Six, eight weeks, we can correct it, change the trajectory of someone's health rather than waiting until they're unable to generate eight meds. Well, and, and, and having that infrastructure in place and having this become part of like our culture, nobody deteriorates to that point unchecked. Like that's the big takeaway is that nobody goes from like a high tiered, tiered one position to tiered four in a year. Right. And if they do something terrible's happened, yep. right? Like, something that's uh, catastrophic. So now we have like something big, but normally people slip from a one to a two, maybe a three if it's been a terrible year. And now we can interject and 
yeah. affect change. So they're not walking around as a danger to themselves and their crew and the public. Oh. Um, last last question. Touch. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to touch on that. The infrastructure on, I, I look at this as if we had somebody on the floor, let's say we're at station one, we're throwing ladders. And I had a guy who's been there 10 years and, and really struggling throwing a ladder, right? What would we do? We would coach, we'd counsel, we'd, we'd remove barriers, we'd make sure that, you know, he doesn't have any shoulder issues, we'd do that. But if you kept showing this deficiency, he can't, he can't produce that output for that floor and he can't do the job. So what we do is, it, you know, at LVFR, we had uh, infrastructure to send them back and to kind of get them back to where they're, they're coming. And that infrastructure has to be first before implementing anything else because we can't have anybody go into this dead zone. Right. And that furthermore, the producer, that point for me is that it starts with that health thing starts at the station with that captain. There's it's OK to have a standard at the station. Not You're not force feeding people and say, oh, you have to eat salad, you have to do this, but forcing them to work out because that is an essential function of our job. It's but, not saying that you ever have to do CrossFit. It just says we're doing this as a team. We have to be able to be ready to respond. But wouldn't you so agree that? And specifically, Clink was mentioning the tiering system in the one through four. Wouldn't it assist those captains to now, if as an organization, you bring someone in and now your recruitment and your hiring process is based on, hey, we're we're not going to bring somebody in that's at a tier three. We, we can't have someone coming, starting the career. We already know how, how bad it can be. We can't have you showing up at 50% body fat and you're and you're on a whole list of medications because like it or not we're not going to treat you kindly like you're not going to get a bid up at one of the slower stations right out the gate you got to go through the gambit you got to make it through the academy so if you implement it into the culture early and recruit with this and being able to implement it as part of, part of our hiring standard now it gives the captain a physical capable human to work with rather than how did you make it through and now i have to be able to have to change a lifetime of habits in a matter of who knows six months i mean one of the easiest ways to change a lifetime of habits is to like just punch the pastries with your fists so everybody can see them that or it works <laughs> pick, up, pick up the cookies and lick them and put them down and shuffle them around wonder what it evil works. person did that <laughs> It works. Or putting mayonnaise into the uh, the cream cheese <laughs> frosting and mixing it up. <laughs> um, um, all right. So so lastly, Corey, we uh, I, I you uh, know the NRS and our blood work uh, really well. Um, what additional testing would you recommend to everyone that isn't covered by the department? When you said a comprehensive panel, uh, what? addition can people go to their uh their personal physicians and, and get checked out yeah so uh, i'll demystify something real quick for you guys so when guys and this is for our younger guys out there because i get this question a lot like these guys go hey well i got my physical done doc says i'm good we have to understand that one we're uh like we're a high risk patient population right when we start working the fire service we're in some cancers, 10 times is more likely than the regular public. Prostate cancer, were like 1.5 times the regular public to get prostate cancer. We have a gambit of cancers that we're, uh, we're exposed, that we have high likelihood of getting. 
and we walk in that door, we should say, hey, doc, I'm a high risk patient. Uh, I need you to treat me as such. In your regular physicals, you're not treated as a high risk patient. You are treated like Joe Schmo off the street. You have the very bare minimum of um, things that go over. They're going to check to make sure that you got ki your kidneys are working, your liver's working, that uh, you don't have any uh, glucose pouring out into your urine, no protein uh, pouring out into your urine, and you get your red blood cells, uh, white blood cell count, make sure those are good. Outside of that, that's basically it. You know, it's some other, depending on what department you work at, they could uh, up the ante, you know, make sure you get a prostate, uh, like a PSA and some other like HIV and hep C, but that's at the state level that they mandate you guys uh, get. So that's not a comprehensive viewpoint. That's just to say, are the wheels still on? Yep. All right. Good to go. And if something's wrong, like you have high cholesterol, they'll send you out the door and say, go get checked out by somebody else. But so there's really limited uh, assessment in those physicals. So uh, first and foremost, know that those aren't sufficient enough. And that's okay. But a lot of young guys go, oh, I'm good enough. So going to a doc and getting a comprehensive uh, panel would be getting your comprehensive metabolic panel, your uh, complete blood count, um, checking your glucose as well as your insulin levels and your hemoglobin A1C, which your hemoglobin A1C is your three-month average of where your sugar is at. Because firefighters are at double the risk of having getting type 2 diabetes because of some of the sleep deprivation, circadian rhythm disruptions that we see. Um, other things are te total testosterone, free testosterone, and sex hormone binding globulin, estradiol, uh, prolactin, thyroid, which is your TSH uh, primarily, and vitamin D, vitamin B12. Those are some, uh, and those are some of the basic ones. And then the only outside one that I would say that is really, really, really important to get is your inflammatory markers, okay? Your homocysteine and your uh, high sensitivity CRP. And those are some huge, huge uh, lab, lab tests that we can do that show if you have red flags. Because uh, just for example, cholesterol, if your cholesterol is high just alone, but you have really low inflammatory markers, you don't have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. But if you have high inflammatory factors, you can double, triple, uh, quadruple those uh, your, your risk of cardiovascular disease just by those values alone. So it's really important to check out the uh, your hormones as well as your inflammatory markers. Anything else you'd recommend besides uh, blood work getting done on a regular basis with our population? Any other DEXA, any test, testing and stuff? DEXA scan is uh, before, if you're on hormone replacement therapy or anything, DEXA scans are really important or a really good uh, biomarker to start um, to get because uh, it'll tell you that bone density is really important because uh, if you have some hormone insufficiencies, you're going to see that reflected into your bone density as well, because that's a common thing that you'll see young guys come in at like 30 years old with low testosterone levels, consistently low testosterone levels, and they have borderline osteoporosis because even though they're, they work out regularly, they do that, that vitamin D component and that hormonal uh, balance component can really be detrimental. So you have increase of risks of uh, breaking, breaking bones or strains and all that other stuff. So it's actually pretty fascinating. So DEXA scan is um, one of the ones that I would get on somebody before. And honestly, you can go in and get one for like 50 bucks, real cheap. Cool. Um, 
one last thing because I know a lot of our listeners would be interested. NFPA 1582 uh, this year in the 2022 updated um, that there is a behavioral health screening that they are uh, recommending that we do annually at seven. It's uh, chapter seven, seven point seven two six. The fire department physician or qualified healthcare provider shall in advance or during the annual physical provide a behavioral health screening for PTSD, major depressive disorder, active suicidal ideations, and substance use disorders. So that was added this year as one of the components of 1582. Um, so hopefully we can get there. Um, anything else? Yeah, you know, the big thing, just to touch on that, to me, this is this is the big thing about being uh, physically active, being healthy, mentally and physically, is in the fire service especially is the relationships we build. The more solid that your crew is, that the relationships that you build with one another, pointing out those inadequacies, fixing the inadequacies, challenging each other to raise up, rise that bar a little bit instead of lowering that standard. Those relationships create that openness between uh, between members so they can talk about some of this crap that we see every day, that we can be vulnerable with each other, and that we can have these these solid bonds. And I think that's that's one of the biggest things that we're losing in the fire service is people start shying away from each other and start stop having those uh, really important bonds, because as you guys know, that's what gets us through all the tough times. And in the fire service, that's what's made us so strong. But I think that we're seeing this deterioration in relationships to where we let our coworker get out of shape instead of calling them out or smashing those donuts and making them work a little harder or say, hey, we got these donuts. That's fine. We got an hour workout before it. And then, hey, eat all those donuts you want. But there's an accountability, a healthy accountability in our system that I think we're losing because we don't want to offend people instead of saying, yeah, we're fat and out of shape. That's fine. Let's work, you know, and. I, I love my brothers and sisters in the fire service more than anybody. And that's what I'm like, I can contribute that, you know, let's work together. Those relationships are really, really, really important. And that to me is like how we fix mental health too. It's not uh, obviously a silver bullet, but you know, absolutely. Well, well and that's what they, uh, isn't that what they say? The key to longevity is, is positive relationships, right? Yeah. So having that strong bond, that's how, that's how we're able to laugh at the most horrific stuff that we see on a regular basis and make light of it is because we've been vulnerable together through stress, right? Now we trust each other through vulnerability. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right. So we've reached a point in the episode, Corey, I don't know if you've seen them where we do, we do the clip of the day. Um, and it, it actually segues perfectly with what you were just talking about and building those relationships and being vulnerable with one another. Um, I'll, if, if you'd like to stay on, I'll share the screen with you. We can watch this clip. And then um, with you two specifically, I know this is a little bit of shifting gears. I told Clink last night, but there's something about this clip that I'll mention afterwards that I think is uh, really important and that we need to recognize. You helped me fight when I was giving in 
Cause you are, you are the reason why I'm still hanging on. Cause you are. You All right. Um. So. <clears throat> The reason that uh, I wanted to pull that up, and you had talked about the captain being the most important position, but um, emotional intelligence mentions this as being uh, what's being depicted in this character for those of you guys that are um, listening on Spotify or Apple is a toxic handler. Um, <clears throat> I know I get it. I understand that a lot of, especially a lot of captains are in this position, but no one. I can tell you no one, and I mean it. You two, if if people are coming to me, and you two are the people that I go to, to, to get that out, and, you know, that I can lean on, what are some, the video showed a dog, the guy showed the, at the end of the video, he hugged the dog, and his the dog his, was like John Coffey <laughs> from the Green Mile, it just took all that badness in. <laughs> the stresses kind of go away, um, as the toxic handler, as the leader that is, you know, having those tough, tough conversations and what are your outlets as the majority of individuals toxic handler um, and what are your recommendations to those that are in that position? I'd say find a Corey because Corey's my toxic handler. So I go to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but honestly, I think it's having an outlet too, right? Like uh, I, I think having the ability to, to decompress somewhere else and focus something on something else helps a lot too. And I would say that guy had a dog, but like, I think most of us can decompress with, uh, you know, physical activity or like if you have a, a hobby or an interest or honestly something that you can, because you're going to have to deal with nasty all the time, right? We deal with nasty at work. Uh, our people have a ton of issues that come at us with stuff, but having, uh, something else you can put your interest in away from it, I think is important. That way you don't just get stuck in this negative cycle of uh, bad all the time. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, dude, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I, I, I reflect on this a lot, kind of just like, hey, what, why, why am I able to handle certain things or why does it, certain things not bother me? It's because you have this infrastructure of people that you can just kind of lean on and just BS with and just get it off your chest, joke around with. You know, it's not, it's not, I think some people might always go, well, I need somebody that I can cry on their shoulder versus just like, I have my, my, one of my older brothers is a fireman and we talk every day and it's just BSing about this. Hey, check out this call. I had BSing just like casually and just it, even just that a little bit just gets it, wicks it away off your chest. Cause a lot of guys don't want to go talk to their significant other and stuff because they don't want to bring down everybody else's mood, but having that outlet of just that somebody who you just like BSing with. And then like Clink said, the other part is physically beating it out of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just get in there and just work it out. Because uh, if you don't have an outlet like that, it can consume you. Then it's hard to see. Uh, it's really hard to find the light, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think finding a way to have the discipline to mandate yourself to have those outlets. Like I, I, and Corey, I noticed you, you've been skiing a lot. You're on, you're, you're on the mountain a lot. And you train. 5 a.m., 6 a.m. every day. Um, I, I think we and I need to do a better job of it myself. I know that I'm I'm always locked in at, at 8 p.m. I'm always thinking of what needs to be done tomorrow. And rarely do I ever schedule, quote, unquote, me time. 
And I, I think that that is just a, a key component of being able to be that toxic handler is um, making sure you do uh, check in at least, I mean, every other day or so and just provide whatever it is, bowling, checkers, I, I, whatever. Well, your, your neural pathways actually adapt to what you feed them, right? So if you're feeding a bunch of negative stuff to your brain all the time, you're going to see the world as negative and bad. And there's times where you can't help that, right? Like there's, we see some terrible stuff and our people go through some terrible stuff. Uh, but the, the trick is to like have a, I think it's like a three to one ratio of like positive interventions to negative interventions to stay on the positive side. So like having things that are, uh, that affect you in a positive manner, like skiing or your family or your dogs, right. Or training or hunting or whatever it is, uh, that, that needs to consume you to actually change your neural pathways to have a positive outlook on life. So, which rolls us right into episode seven, which would be next positive psychology. Yeah. Cool. Battalion Chief Corey Whitlock. That thank you. Good. That sounds good. So much for joining us, sir. We, we appreciate your time. We know how busy you are. Um, uh, thank you. We appreciate it. Appreciate you guys, man. You guys are studs. Yeah. Thanks for having me. See you guys next time. Bye. Peace.